All right, we are live. Welcome back to another edition of Elevate Your Grind, brought to you by the Cannabis Lab. I am your host, Todd Rosales, and welcome to the new format of the show where I can no longer hide the guests from you because my MacBook doesn't seem to like to record in speaker view anymore. Why? I don't know, but I probably should let my guests know that they're on camera while we're doing this, folks. Welcome back to the show. I hope you've been enjoying the new reinvigorated version of Elevate Your Grind, which is the exact same way as the old version of Elevate Your Grind. We just didn't take three months off this time. So we come to you every week, Tuesdays at 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific, they don't do that on TV anymore where they give you both time zones because everybody watches on demand now. That's that's unfortunate, folks. Um, if you guys are watching this on Tuesday, the next two days, Cannabis Lab will be all over the Benzinga conference. Myself will be set up there with the Elevate Your Grind studio. We're hoping to have a lot of great conversations coming out to you, which will absolutely fill the gaps as I start traveling and don't have the time to record new episodes. But that will be great. We'll be coming live from Benzinga. If you're going to be at Benzinga over the next two days, and I'll talk like it is actually Tuesday today and not Friday. We have the 420 official Benzinga after party that will be hosted by Cannabis Lab. That will be at the Marseille Hotel. And then we have on 421, our legacy and corporate panel sitting at the table together. That is going to be an absolutely amazing panel. We have folks that have transitioned from the black market. We have a couple suits that are on that panel. It's up to you to figure out who's who. But at the end of the day, we realize that skill sets from both sides of the table are needed for people to be successful. And this conversation will be all about that. It is going to be at the Red Rooster that's down in Overton slash Wynwood down in Miami. If you want to check that one out, go to Eventbrite, Google C-Lab. And 100%, those are two events you don't want to miss, especially if you're going to be in town for the Benzinga conference. Lastly, we're going to have, or not lastly, on the 26th, we're going to have our third annual pitch slam. If you're a company and you are looking to raise capital, we are getting five real top investors from the cannabis industry. If you've seen the show, you can probably take a guess on who they are. So if you want the chance to actually pitch your business plan to real investors and raise capital, please go to Cannabis Lab or sorry, joincelab.com. The banner will be up there on Monday. You can apply. If you don't see it there and you want to get a jump on it, please DM us on LinkedIn or Facebook or anywhere else. Give us the details about your company. We'll reach out to you, see if you've made it. And then finally, on June 3rd and 4th in Miami is the annual C-Lab conference. I am very much looking forward to that. The last real one that we had in 2019, and I say real one because it was prior to COVID, I was just some guy who wanted to get into the cannabis industry. I didn't have a job in the industry. I wasn't working in the industry. I didn't have a network in the industry. Here I am with my very own radio show that like three or four people watch, but also as the VP of business development for an actual cannabis brand and a pretty good one at that. So if you want to get started in the industry, if you're in the industry, if you want to build your network in the industry, you should definitely attend. Folks, my guest today is a friend of the show. He's been on it before. You see who he is. So I can't really hide that from you, but he, God, everybody loves to make their life hard in this industry. And we're going to get on in a second. He had a great position with a large firm and he decided that that wasn't comfortable enough for him. He decided that, you know, why not risk it all and go on your own and work with multiple companies? So we're going to figure out um, if he's crazy or if he's confident, but please welcome my guest today, Sam Arilano of it's Arilano brand company, correct? Or ABC brand for short, right? Yeah, that's right. Thanks, Todd. No confidence as I was saying that. Like, I was confident, and then you correct, not didn't correct me. You told me how to say it. I'm like, oh, I knew it before then. But Sam, thanks for joining us again, man. I know <laughs> I kind of already blew up your spot, but you know, you were the CMO for a very, very large cannabis company. It seems like a very comfortable job. Seems like you were doing extremely well on a ton of job security. 
why go venture on your own, man? Are, are you crazy? Do you like the challenge? Like, but on a serious note, I feel like you have that entrepreneurial spirit. I always did. So I'd love to understand what made you make the jump. Yeah. Well, thanks. Well, first of all, Todd, thanks for, uh, thanks for having me back. It's uh, I don't know how many repeat guests you have, but it's a pleasure. Third, third or fourth for sure. Oh, well, fantastic. Then I'm an elite group. So you're in the top five repeat guests for sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyways, uh, thanks for having me. I mean, it's a, it's amazing to see you out here doing your thing, and it's been a couple of years at least since since I was on last. So, um, you these things you got a date help. there? No, I wish I did. Let's see what's going on in the world. Maybe. Yeah, well, I mean, it's certainly pre-COVID time, which seems you know like time has stood still during COVID. So. Uh, in some ways or in many ways, it seems much longer than just a couple of years, but yeah. um, yes, you're right. So last time, uh, it, last time I was on, I was a CMO uh, for a top five flower brand uh, here in California at the time, ultra premium uh, brand Candescent and the Candescent portfolio of brands is kind of, uh, you know, my responsibility from a sales and marketing perspective. But I would say that uh, you can both be crazy and confident. Uh, so, so that like might, fit, might fit me well. And I, I think that's, I think that's suitable given that I've gone from, you know, one company with a portfolio of brands to now working with, uh, you know, half dozen or, or more. So companies across the country. So, um, there's certainly a little bit of craziness there, right? Just built into the cannabis industry and then yeah. now working across state lines. I give you credit, man, because what you did with Candescent was amazing, right? To, to do that, to come up, you know, with, with the stories that you've told and the feel and just really the overall branding of Candescent. And then you're doing it again now. So there, you know, I, I look at someone like you and I don't want to say you must have been tortured, but I feel like, you know, you were working on Candescent, it was built and then you had to mature it and, and, and evolve it and just keep that going. But you must have had so many different ideas in your head where you're like, this would be a cool idea for a brand or this would, and you just can't apply it to a brand that already exists because it's been there and you created that. It needs to stay that way. That would be like me saying like, Oh, Heisman should focus on violin players. Like, I mean, and don't get me wrong. We're all about greatness, but it's a sports focused brand. So, you know, I imagine that you started just looking at the industry and, and we'll get into my thoughts on the branding in the industry, but looking at the industry and being like, I've got so many ideas for, for brands and, and I just, I need to get them out there. I feel like that might've been a driving factor. Um, certainly, you know, there are ideas and, and, and some more than others that we choose to execute or want to execute and find the right partners to do so. But I would say, you know, our thesis was slightly different for, for venturing out. Um, you know, one of the things that I realized working internally sort of in a more corporate environment, if you will, is um, this is this is very specific to California, but I think it's more broadly applicable across the country. And that is um, you often find in cannabis organizations uh, on either side, on either pole, you have uh, sort of a capital component. And that might be uh, people who are bringing money to the table, um, you know, placing board members, um, maybe people with CPG experience or not, uh, certainly fundraising experience, cer certainly exit experience. And then on the other poll, you have legacy growers, you have people who are really understanding you know, cultivars, pheno hunts, 
um, terp profiles, total cannabinoid makeup. And these are people who have a deep, true, authentic passion for growing amazing flower. But what happens, and this is where our thesis for ABC brand design comes in, is that oftentimes on the internal side, you don't have um, the connected tissue, if you will, that helps realize a brand and or a product um, and then everything it takes to launch that product. So that was our thesis and our reason for being. When I was inside a candescent for a couple of years, I saw how much we struggled with that. And we were some of the best in the California cannabis space. So in talking to friends at other brands and talking to people across the country, I said, is this, is this model work? If you could outsource your uh, strategic advisory services when it comes to sales and marketing, um, brand design, um, retail design, brand strategy, go-to-market strategy, and some marketing execution. If you could do that in a way that would save you um, internally uh, from, a, from a capital expenditure perspective, from a headcount perspective, from a budget perspective, frankly, would you be interested in that model? And, and, and 10 out of 10 times, we got a yes. And so um, it was February of 2021 that we launched uh, ABC Brand Design, and uh, I know we'll get into it, but uh, you were very complimentary about the work that, that, that I did at Candescent, but I didn't do it on my own. It was certainly a team effort, um, and I'm happy to say that uh, senior members from that team uh, came with me and joined uh, ABC Brand Design, and so that's kind of really what makes us tick. Very cool, man. And, and I agree with you wholeheartedly. I think, I do think there are so many great legacy growers and, and people in California that can grow extremely good cannabis. But when you look at the dispensary model right now, especially in LA, I feel like the Bay Area still has a little bit of cannabis purism to it where people are looking at the strains and the farms and, you know, it's a little bit more local. But when you get down to LA, there's a lot of hype around it. There's a lot of hype. It is very much a CPG industry. So like, if you don't understand, like you said, if you don't understand that side of the business, it doesn't matter how good your cannabis is if, if no one's going to try it. Right. And, and that's unfortunate because I believe that these folks have earned the right to be in those stores, earned the right to be on those shelves. And just because they can't come up with a marketing strategy or a branding strategy, they can't do it. It, it kind of does suck because they fought the good fight for so long. I mean, you know, it's shameless plug, plug for the C-Lab panel, but what I'm hearing from you is exactly what our next panel is going to be about is just that you do need the skill sets from both sides. You need someone who understands cannabis, understands the harvest schedules, understands what makes it grow well, what makes this strain grow well, what cultivars are popular, like, and then you need someone who has that traditional CPG experience because as our industry grows, in my opinion here, as our industry grows, we are moving more and more away from the traditional cannabis user. And that's the goal. The goal is to bring everybody else into our ecosystem, to get them to try this plant, to get the, the stigma to be normalized. And that's where I feel like there's this middle ground between legacy growers and legacy um, legacy people in the industry and, and the corporate suits or whatever you want to call them, that there are a whole bunch of people that have been professionals and also cannabis purchasers and enthusiasts in the black market for so long that almost feels lost. Like nobody talks about us. There's not a derogatory or positive nickname for the people in the middle that like, listen, I was an IT professional for 10 years. I also smoked a lot of weed for 10 years. I also bought it from legacy growers off golf courses and in parking lots and in people's garages. Like 
you know, so it's, it's a very interesting thing to think. I think what you're doing, especially for the companies that you're probably working with is really a service for the industry to find people that have great product and yeah. allow them to get to market. No, I think that's well said. You know, I think we can provide a service to those uh, who, are, who are truly authentic and passionate um, and have been for decades, um, sometimes, you know, for a lifetime. And we want to tell those stories in a way that moves the needle for them. And that is not uh, mutually exclusive to what, uh, I'll use your term, the suits want, right? They want someone who can help them move the needle. So um, that's our reason for being. Um, we've seen plenty of uh, asset light brands um, look for that in-house support. And then the brands are also trying to do everything vertically also need, need that support as well. And so if we can provide a high level service for those customers, then I do feel like we're doing something good for the industry in terms of, um, you know, getting the message out there for the brands that have tremendous product, right. And have the ability and the vision to see that, Hey, we can't do everything at a very, very high level, um, nobody can, right? Like this is our lane. Um, this is what we do well. I would say, you know, we're cannabis pros and some of the best um, creatives and marketers in the industry, uh, you know, nationwide because of our background. But um, yeah, I mean, that's that's a little bit about ABC and kind of what we've got going on and why we've started. And um, here we are coming into our second year. And uh, it's, you know, our, our my fourth year in cannabis, but um, but it's been great so far, like 2021, um, despite all of the headwinds that were associated with the pandemic and, you know, the, the iterations of those strains, not the strains that we normally talk about, but um, COVID strains in this instance, uh, all of those headwinds, um, despite that, we had a phenomenal year, which kind of uh, was proof of concept for me. And so here nice. we are in our second year, we're growing our account base, we're trying to provide like a, like a tremendous value add service. So, um, so excited, so happy to be in this space, working with good people. Um, Very cool. Yeah. Are you guys mostly focused in California right now? Are you in multiple markets? Where, where do most of your clientele come from? Um, we're nationwide. So cool. as we start to see more and more states come online, uh, transitioning from med to rack or both in some instances, um, we have a lot of uh, inquiries. We have a lot of conversations. Um, we're working with some MSOs now, some of the bigger guys. Those are the ones who, you know, have the resources, who are proliferating their brands, whether it's vertical within, you know, a retail forward brand or a CBG based brand. Um, you know, our experience kind of spans all of that. So um, we certainly, because we're based in Los Angeles, um, we're certainly very, very familiar with the California market, obviously. And, from our past experience at Candescent, but we're finding ways that make that transferable across state lines. It's interesting. You know, we, we look at the, from my standpoint, right. And I'll, I'll take this as my opinion. I look at the, the California cannabis industry and the cannabis industry in general. And, you know, I remember my first couple of trips out to LA doing my due diligence for Heisman and going into stores and doing my right. comparison shoppings and everything else. Mm -hmm. And the one thing that I noticed, like, the top cannabis brands or who, who the bud tenders push and the ones that are known as the best mm -hmm. are, they're just known for having good weed. Like there, there, there really isn't much branding around it besides we have good weed. We have the best weed. We're legacy California growers. Like 
it is very much stuck in an old mentality. There are a few brands that have broken through and broken out of that. Candescent was one. Um, I think Lowell did it for a little while, but they've kind of, in my opinion, and anyone can judge however you want in the comments section, I think they've fallen back a little bit. Obviously, Cookies is the monster in the room, what Burner has done and is able to open stores internationally. But to, to pump our own gas a little bit here, that's that's where our thesis for Heisman was. Like When we looked and we said, we can build a community around sports and greatness and cannabis, nobody, we look at, at everybody, no one's really doing that. And you would think it would be such an obvious thing. So, you know, I look at branding in this industry and I feel like it needs to change. And I feel like someone like you sitting down with some of these brands and saying like, all right, well, you're pumping that you have the best weed in California. Tell me your story. And I feel like, like you said, the, the, the passion and the authenticity. I feel like if you actually sat down with someone and heard just their story, there's a real brand in there. And it's not just that we grow really good weed. And I, I feel like you get to have a lot of really great conversations about that. We do. We do, and it's it's fortunate. We're fortunate to be in that position where we can have a seat at that table. Um, but you have a myriad of, of of operators who have varying degrees of understanding what brand means. Um, sometimes they think it's a logo or it's swag or putting mm -hmm. a logo on a T-shirt and creating swag or or a lanyard or a pin, um, and that's that's not what brand is. Brand is something far more. Um, far more uh, intrinsic to to your reason for being and your value prop. And look, I mean, <clears throat> there are lots of growers in California who have fire flower, right? It's not, it's great. Like your flower or your product or your concentrate will get you only so far, mm -hmm. right? We're talking about mind share. We're talking about resiliency when um, supply wanes, right? We're talking about um, connecting in, in deeper ways that, you know, keep people, you know, not only just uh, like rationally connected, but emotionally connected, right? You know, we have two sides of our brain. One side's more rational, one side's more emotional. The rational side will say, I can pay for this, eight, you know, um, slightly cheaper than that one or more expensive than that one. And the emotional side will kind of bridge that gap and say, you know what, this brand speaks to me in a way that um, like, my kicks speak to me, like, you know, like my Nike speak to me or like my Supreme t-shirt speaks to me or whatever that case may be. I think that's really important for operators and these people who kind of sit on either side of the pole. Uh, you know, that's our thesis, you know, capital markets and the, and the grower market um, is like connecting those two uh, via the, the product that it gets jarred or gets put in a bag and then telling that story in a way that connects and builds that community. Yeah. No, it, it is crazy. Like I said, I, I think a lot of people, like you said, they don't understand what brand is. They think it is a cool logo or they think it's a cool t-shirt or something like, you know, I'll give you our thesis right now. You see, I'm wearing a Heisman shirt. Like this isn't just something we give away at, at conferences. We have a full merchant apparel business, but we recognize like it's not going to be successful unless we're a good weed brand right? Like that's, that's just how it is. That's, that's what cookies did. Right. My, my CEO says this often, he goes, burner doesn't make the best backpacks in the world. They're, they're normal backpacks. They just happen to be part of a community. So when those community backpacks get put up, they sell out instantly because people want to be part of that community. Right. And that's, that's what brand is. You mentioned some of the top brands in, in, in the world, Nike Supreme, like, I don't think people realize back in the day, Supreme was just a skate shop back in the day 
It was mm-hmm. a skate shop that got some limited drops. And then all of a sudden they, they just leaned into that and they leaned into that hype model and that manufactured hype. And now, you know, uh, anything that drops with the little Supreme logo on it, which is, it could be a plain t-shirt with just that red box on it will sell out instantly, but you wear it anywhere. And someone will, and someone who recognizes it, it it's like-minded individuals. And that's, that's what always blew my mind about cannabis branding was it's, how does Supreme make you feel? How does a new pair of Nikes make you feel? Like, you know, I remember when I, even when I was a kid, well before back when you used to be able to buy Jordans in the store before you had to, you know, wait till they hit the resale market. When you got your new pair of Jordans, you couldn't wait to wear them to school on Monday. You know what I mean? Like it made you feel great. You knew like everyone's going to look at me. So when it comes to cannabis, a plant that truly makes you feel something, right? When you consume it, you feel something it blew my mind that there was no, like you guys did it, but a lot, a lot of people said like, these are the type of people who consume our product. These, this is, this, this is for artists. This is for musicians. This is for hikers. There is not a lot of people who, you know, what activities are are you going to be doing when you consume my weed? Like what other people are in the community? And that's always what blew my mind because you truly had something that could actually make the customer feel the way the feeling you wanted them to feel. And nobody was leaning into that. I'm going to go on a tangent here, but when I worked at spring big, one of the big things that happened was there was a, a regulation that came out that banned people from sending images of cannabis. Right. And everybody freaked out. Everyone freaked out. And I go, why go, do you know how many of you are sending the same freaking high quality images of your nugs? All of you, you're all sending the same text messages and they all look the same. And all is your pre-rolls, maybe your packaging is different, but nobody. And then all of a sudden came another brand, you know, I'll call them out her highness. And they sent out lifestyle initiatives and they crushed it. They crushed it because they knew who their audience was and they knew how to speak to them. And that's the thing that, that blows my mind in this industry is you have that tool to do it and, and people aren't. Yeah, no, it, it good points for sure all around um like how many images of weeds and joint uh, of nugs and joints can we see before it all blends into one right no it's it's true it's true and um you know brand protects against the commoditization of what it is that so many of your listeners do for a living right so if you don't if you don't have that moat or um, you know what i would call a moat a way to differentiate yourselves not just by cultivar, right, or or uh, COA, or, you know, THC percentages. If you don't have that brand um, layer, then then you're going. You're likely, in my experience, you're likely to get swooped up in the race to the bottom, and that is to compete on price. And no yeah. one wants that, right? And so, we talked a little bit earlier about CPG experience, and I've kind of made mention a couple of times here about. You know our thesis and and these these two poles that exist from uh, you know capital perspective and grower perspective and um, you know I think it's important you know some of the things that we do is is help those prospective clients understand profit margins and um, you know some of the advisory stuff that we do what you know from a cost of goods perspective from a bomb build perspective and making sure that that everything is accounted for so that they know how much they can spend on packaging or can't spend on packaging. And they, they realize a break-even point or how to buy so that they're not shorted on packaging. And so 
the whole go-to-market process is something that I think when we are talking about efficiency, um, and this is a brand component, you know, oftentimes, you know, we mentioned it already, it's not just the exterior packaging or the mm -hmm. wrapper or the logo or the swag, it's repeatability, it's scalability, it's building trust, it's delivering product on time. So, um, you know, our team, we have a background that, that spans, um, you know, many different verticals, you know, contemporary apparel, streetwear, skateboarding, um, hospitality, food and beverage. And so we like to bring the best of that experience to the clients that we work with. And we found that it's been really beneficial so far and they enjoy that value that we can bring. But we're talking now that's sort of the dimensionality of brand um, and then just kind of being in that place, you know, marketing helps extend that, gets that, that, that mind share, gets people aware, but brand is the totality of it all. And um, it's, it's fun to be in this industry because I think people are open to these types of conversations because they're new for them. Um, so yeah, it's, it's been a blast so far. It's funny. I think a lot of people have opinions before they actually dip their toe in the water, myself being one of them. And then you actually work for a plan touching brand and you see a lot of the roadblocks from a marketing yeah. standpoint, from a just doing business standpoint. Mm -hmm. And I don't think people realize like the margins are still relatively thin in our industry from a branding standpoint. I remember looking at a new piece of pack. So, you know, we talk about branding and, and things like I think Lowell, like I said, did a very good job early on. And I joke that they sold, they were the number one company because of their packaging, not because of what went inside, but they had, you know, that pre-roll pack launched them to success. Right. So I always thought it was cool. And that's something that I've aspired for, for Heisman is to get to a pack like that. And I remember I found one and I really liked it. But then I saw the cost associated with it. No matter how badly I wanted to put my pre-rolls in that pack, it was yeah. cost prohibitive, right? And mm -hmm. I don't think some people realize that because there has to be a scalability and sustainability standpoint for the brand. Otherwise, I'd put the pre-rolls in there. We'd not make any money and that would be the end of it. So it's, it's interesting to be able to educate people on that because there are so many little nuances in our industry that, that can cost you a lot of money, taxes and, and all that too. Like. Um, I think we're at a very interesting point in time. It's an inflection point where, where a lot of brands in California and elsewhere or in markets that have been established more so are looking at the entire country and they're ready to take their brand national. And I think in this industry, more than any other industry, maybe not alcohol, I don't know the exact specifications. I know they have some trouble, but it's very, very hard to make your brand consistent nationally um, in cannabis. And I feel like that's a challenge that we're all going to be facing right now. I know it's a challenge that we're facing, whereas, you know, in most markets, in any markets that's recreational, I can probably bring my Mylar bags there and I can find similar terpene profile of cannabis. I can bring my, in theory, I can bring my genetics there or whatnot, but, you know, it's still, it's a different atmosphere and everything else. But then you have limited license markets like Florida or, or Pennsylvania, which let's be honest, as I'm, maybe I'm hearing too much of my own company's dirty laundry here, but like, what's a better market for Ricky Williams than Florida? Like you would mm -hmm. think we'd be here already, but what can I do as a brand? It's a white opaque package with whoever grew its label on there. Maybe I can add a sticker in the bag. So like there's mm -hmm. no branding in Florida. You look at Pennsylvania and you, again, you have to be in opaque jars. So like, how do, how do, how do we work as brands and try to find that national consistency. So mm -hmm. the person in Pottsville, Pennsylvania, who has been a Heisman fan from afar 
through or, or any brand for that matter, from afar, through Instagram, through the internet. And just because he happens to be in the cannabis, how do we make sure that they stay excited when our brand comes to their state? Yeah. Um, this is, this is a really relevant topic for us because when we're working with brands looking to scale across the country, um, a lot of the briefs, a lot of the early conversations are around exactly what you just described. And so I think, you know, for us, it really, it really starts, you know, this dialogue about vision and, and, and where the brand wants to be and where it wants to go. Um, and then thinking about that scalability early on in the process. Um, we have clients who launched in California and now are taking on MSO partners and have an asset light model and are moving to these new markets that are opening. And we're having to help them retrofit their branding so that they can brand at scale for that continuity and consistency that you are speaking about, right? So when I say vision, I'm not talking about in 10 years, I wanna be here. I'm talking about, you know, wh what, what do your profit margins need to be in order for you to operate a solvent business, right? And so what impact does that have on how you show up? And then keep in mind, there are strong brands that have the most generic and basic of packaging. And, and it's not just because they have strong product that's inside the packaging, but they have ways to kind of speak to their community, their constituency, their audiences in ways that take them outside the dispensary. Yeah. I, I, I would bet that you, you would, you know, the strongest brands in cannabis across the country have secondary and tertiary ways uh, to create revenue streams, whether it's a merch profile or excuse me, like a Shopify site that's selling like really high end. Think about Houseplant as a recent example, right? They've had a ton of supply issues, right? But that team has done so well to produce um, like high end, you know, um, interior products like ashtrays. And Can I tell you how hard it is? They just released a, um, a stand up ashtray. I saw goes off all, you saw that for 300 yeah. bucks. And I'm like, I'm like, their prices, not to interrupt you, but their prices are like right on that cusp of affordable mm -hmm. slash too much. So I'm like, I've been looking at that ashtray for the past 48 hours, hoping it would just sell out. So I wouldn't have to make the decision. It's pretty damn sexy. It is. It's pretty yeah, they, you're right, man. Like shout out, shout out Seth Rogen, shout out uh house plant. Well done. Well done. But yeah. that's just an example of what we're talking about. Right. So, so that's brand. When you can't when you can't find the eights on the shelves and they're doing these drops, you can cop other things, right? If it maybe maybe a three hundred dollar ashtray is not in your in your sort of price range, but you know forty dollar tea might be or yeah. something along those lines. And so, um, for the listeners, obviously, you know brand goes far beyond you know the, the quality and integrity uh, of your product or the product, the packaging, uh, you know the the packaging of the product comes in, right? It's, it's, it's the totality. It's all of that in aggregate. And so um, that's what I would share, you know, with the people listening who are trying to build brand is um, you gotta, you gotta keep your head and your eyes sort of peeled for those opportunities to distinguish and separate, uh, you know, you from the next guy. And it's interesting. It's funny, you know, you bring up houseplant and, and the goods that they have, because I think, I do think a lot of people try to use that strategy. You go on a few cannabis sites and you might see that, but I think where, what Houseplant did differently and, and better, they're not slapping their name on a product that's already out there and then marking it up and selling it. Like if you go on their website, everything that they're selling is pretty unique to them, right? That, that 
that ashtray we were just talking about the the cement um rolling tray that i thought was really cool some of the cases that they've come out with like and the funny thing to me now as you've brought up houseplant is you go on a website like StockX. What else do you find on StockX? You find Supreme, you find Nike, you find all the streetwear brands. And then all of a sudden now I see the same houseplant goods on there. And that's crazy to me that mm-hmm. there is a cannabis company that is on StockX with their goods. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, um, houseplant has really leveraged the scarcity model you know, to a hilt already. Um, I was talking to a, a CEO buddy of mine who owns a high-end dispensary chain here in Los Angeles. And he was just sharing with me that they can't keep the product in for a long time and they go, you know, periods without having product at all. But when they do a drop, there's a line for it and it sells out within the day. So um, no, it's great. I mean, they're, they're, they're really sort of disrupting in a way that is consistent with um, where they come from. So let, let me step into it myself here because we are in this category somewhat, but like, Let's look at some of these celebrity brands because we talk about Houseplant and obviously that that's Seth Rogen. I think Evan Goldberg is writing partner. It's their brand, right? They're doing pretty good. Their their house Houseplant goods are doing well. Celebrity brand has not necessarily taken off in cannabis. There have been I don't want to say epic failures because I don't want to talk badly about anybody, but you know the celeb aspect doesn't always hold. Seth is a passionate cannabis smoker and smoker. He has been, he's been an advocate for it, but so is Snoop. Snow, so, so is Cheech and Chong. Like there have been cannabis icons that have tried to get into this industry and they're, they're not getting the traction that you would think that they just des- not even the traction you think they would get the traction that candidly they deserve. Right. And, and that's interesting to me. And I'm wondering if maybe they're just not partnering with the right people to get their authentic story out there or, or what's going on there, because it, it is almost upsetting. Like, why is there not a huge Snoop Dogg brand? Like, you know, Willie's did good for a while. There are a lot of cannabis celebrities out there. And then you have some of these, like, I don't want to call them beat. God, I sound so terrible. Thank God. Like this isn't a <laughs> widely distributed show, but like you have like some of these B list and C list guys, like, Al Harrington, I love you. I think you have a great brand of Viola, but I didn't know you when you were the NBI. I knew you because you came out as a cannabis advocate and launched a brand. So like he doesn't have the pull of a Cheech and Chong or a mm-hmm. Snoop or any of these other cannabis advocates or like Little Wayne's Jakua and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious to know what your take is and be careful because I'm part of one. The celebrity mm-hmm. brand is. Mm-hmm. Well, look, um, there's, there's lots of opinions, I'm sure, about celebrity brands and cannabis. Here's, here's my take on it. Um, the consumer's like so smart, right? Yeah. Like, like you, you can't, you gotta be really mindful of what it is that you're trying to say and the product that you're trying to sell. And some of the, the franchises and or brand names that you mentioned and make no mistake, Snoop is a franchise. Um, they, they've eroded the, the strength of their brand and their position a long time ago, prior to even getting into cannabis by putting their names on, you know, middle market, sub market, like not great products, right? And so the consumers, you know, like you would, you would be wise to kind of, you know, hold the consumer in a high regard. If you're in a position of building products and or brand, you cannot um, take them for granted whatsoever. Mm-hmm. They have memories. We're in a digitized world now. People will pull up, you know, the mistakes of the past. And um, 
you know, they're, they're, they're not going to buy into something that doesn't feel authentic. And, and of course, of course, Snoop Dogg smokes a lot of weed. Like back in the day, like I live in LA and Long Beach is not too far from LA. And, you know, I have friends who went to his high school and he sold weed and couldn't be more authentic. But the fact that Snoop is, his brand is so diluted and so far out there. um, Consumers know damn well, he's not you know, hunting cultivars, they know damn well he's not visiting gardens unless he's picking up some weight, right, or something for himself personally. So it's not about whether you enjoy cannabis or you're authentic to cannabis. It's about a myriad of possibilities, the people, the operators you that you work with and what's their reputations, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. So I think, again, to point out Seth and what Evan's doing at Houseplant, these are guys that are coming into the marketplace with respect, with um, a point of view that is markedly different than everybody else. And they're not trying to sell a bazillion units from the jump. They're saying, hey, we're gonna be diversified. We're gonna take our time. And look, this is not a commercial for Houseplant. They're not a client of ours, but um, yeah. you know, credit, to, credit to where credit's due, right? I think that's an authentic way for you to come in and show your, uh, show your respect and your reverence for the culture, right? Like Seth is walking hall of flowers. He's high-fiving people. And it's not that like Exhibit and Snoop and those guys, they, and B-Real, they, they all do it, right? And B-Real's and Ricky doing- Ricky Williams was in his booth two days in a row for eight hours, just saying. Yeah, no, it's great. <laughs> it's great. And look, you know, like Heisman's not a client either, but I love the sports connection. I, I love that authenticity. I mean, Heisman, obviously that's a great pun. Um, I remember Ricky Williams. I remember him winning the Heisman Trophy. I remember him coming into the league, et cetera, et cetera. I remember his on again, off again sort of time because of of his smoking. So um, I think there's tremendous stories to be told. Uh, Consumers will vet that out and smell that out really, really early on. So um, for those agents, those people who think, those business managers who think you can kind of slap on your client's name, it won't check for long. It might check. It might get you on TMZ for a hot second, but past that, it's you know consumers know. And if, yeah. if, if they're regular consumers of cannabis and they're visiting their favorite dispensary over time, um, you know celebrity brands typically haven't moved the needle in my experience. No, I agree with you. And you know that was something we were afraid of when we launched. And then we told Ricky story again, and everyone's like, "Well, you know, he's been an advocate since 2004. He literally yeah. walked away from millions of dollars, and and that's a different story." And I think, like you said, if there is a true, passionate, authentic story, it changes the narrative for celebrity. But to bring that all the way back to call them traditional brands and cannabis, I think we're at a point in time where content has been very decentralized and and storytelling is on so many different platforms, whether it's, you know, you're not, you're not stuck with traditional media, like like TV and radio and magazines and stuff like that. You have the internet. So you have YouTube, you have Instagram, you have TikTok, you have all these different ways to tell these authentic stories. And I personally believe a lot of these guys who came from the black market or gray market or whatever you want to say, they haven't told their stories because that's the type of person you needed to be to operate in that market. You needed Mm -hmm. to be you know, very hush hush, you couldn't tell your story, you couldn't share it. But now we're at a point where stories can be shared, at least maybe not in full detail. But I think there are probably so many people who have all these great stories out there that you don't know about, that can have these stories of authenticity and passion that are not celebrities that can be somewhat minor celebritized, if you will, through social media, like, to give an example, two examples off the top of my head, and I wish I knew more. And I'm, I'm sorry, I don't for anybody who's out there 
cursing at me for not sharing the story they're thinking of. But like, if you've seen the Netflix business of drugs, and you've got uh, Cody from Northern Emeralds on there, and you know, he his parents were smugglers, and they were smugglers in California, and it's been in his blood forever. Like, obviously, Netflix thought that was compelling enough of a story to, to put him on the marijuana section on the business of drugs. You know, um, I don't know who, how many people are familiar with Brady Cobb, who was a, a lobbyist and a lawyer, um, you know, but his dad was a smuggler. His dad was a, a smuggler for Pablo Escobar, smuggled three mil 300 million worth of weed. The, the, the DEA opened a field office down here, called it Operation Sunburn. He said, it's funny if anybody wants to go check out past episodes of Brady Cobb, but you know, he, one of his, my favorite quote ever on this show was 13 shrimp boats, never sold a single shrimp because they were using it to smuggle cannabis. So like Brady's, Brady's got an amazing story. Cody is an amazing story. And I'm sure there are thousands upon thousands more that just need to be told. Yeah. I mean, let's do it. Like I, there's room there. There's room. Um, if, if you, if you're straddling in the gray market and you, your story is about generations of growers who provided for their family and their livelihood, and you're trying to do a good thing and, um, you know, licensing and, and all of that rigmarose has created challenges and you can finally get over the line. Let's tell that story because I think there's, there's, it's authentic to you, right? Whoever that you may be who's listening, um, don't shy away from it. Like, like, let's hear those dime bag stories. Let's hear the trunk stories. Let's hear, uh, I started when I was, you know, younger, right? And then, <laughs> excuse me, and then, built it into what I'm doing today and then crossed over to the legal market. That's real stuff, man. That's, mm -hmm. that's, that's people's stories. Those, that's what we like to tell. Yeah. Right? We wouldn't shy away from that in a way that would be inauthentic or incongruent with who they are for us at ABC as brand builders. Um, we extract that truth yeah. and we tell it in a way that feels compelling to the marketplace. And there's room for that. There's, there's a hundred percent room for that. Well, that's got to be a very exciting job to have. And, and I will make an ask of you as you come across these folks with these magnificent stories. And as you bring them on as clients, I would love to be an outlet for those folks to tell their stories. Great. 100%. 100%. And if there's anything that we can do with Ricky and you guys, of course, let it be known. Absolutely. Uh, I'm a big fan of his running running style. So Ricky is a true renaissance man. And I think that's yeah. what everyone's going to find out um, the more and more we do this. And it doesn't yeah. hurt to have him on board. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to plug a, an episode that he did. If anybody really wants to see Ricky's authentic story, there's a podcast called The Pivot that's hosted by Channing Crowder and Fred Taylor, um, mm -hmm. two guys that Ricky played with in the league. Channing was, was a rookie right at the tail end of Ricky's career, and mm -hmm. they talk about what it was like to be in the NFL drug program. And I remember Channing comes out with a great quote that says, uh, you have the number one player in the league wearing his helmet with a visor during interviews, and you're not going to go ask him what's wrong right? Mm -hmm. it, it's crazy. So I remember all of that, man. I remember. And I've, and, and recently within the last, you know, since the world has been opening up, I've been in a couple of rooms with Ricky at a couple of different events and uh, have not yet had the opportunity to meet him uh, face to face or shake his hand. But I remember back in the day growing up as a big NFL fan, um, I just remember how genteel and, and, and so mellow he was and not because of cannabis, but you know, I think there was some anxiety and so there were some, some fear issues that were going on. He was so lauded coming out of college. And uh, I just remember thinking that, that dude, there's more to the story there for sure. As you know, Todd, and uh, 
I just remember like as, as, uh, as a gentle giant that he was sort of on camera. And I remember those interviews with him with wearing the helmet and all yeah. of that stuff. I mean, he would crush on the football field, just literally crush. So that, that dichotomy, that, that, you know, in front of the camera, he was just very quiet and shy, if you will. And then on the field, man, he was just speed. Yeah. It's funny. Ricky would say like Ricky was one of the original athlete advocates. He, yeah. you know, he sure. wore his helmet because he felt yeah. he wasn't being treated the right way by the league. So he's like, I'm going to give almost like what Marshawn did when he was, you know, the point when he said, I'm only here not to get sued. Like Ricky was the OG on that back in 2004. So, mm -hmm. you know, we have an authentic story to tell. I hope people, you know, I, I believe people are, are, appreciating it and accepting it. And we hope yeah. that more athletes will join Heisman and, and tell their authentic stories. So mm -hmm. that's our brand. And, you know, I, I hope we get to the heights that you've built candescent to and your, and your new clients and everything else, man. But I, uh, this is one of my favorite parts of the industry because I think it's, we'll call it immature right now. I think branding is immature in the industry and I'm really excited to start seeing it mature, not because I want it to be pure CPG. Like I know there are purists that don't want to see that because I do believe that there are so, clearly I have an effing podcast that is meant for people to tell their stories, but I think there are so many amazing stories in this industry to be told from all the history that we've had that has not been able to be told. And, and you know, I'm glad that there are people like you that will find those stories brand them and, and, and bring them to light and, and hopefully help these entrepreneurs and these successful cultivators and brands yeah. be able to reach the, the size where they can tell their story. Yeah. Look, I mean, it's an investment, but it's an investment in their future. And by doing so, they're able to increase their margins, uh, create and or protect profitability, um, and create trust with their with their audience in a way that is sustainable over time. So I would encourage those listeners who uh, have not thought much about building brand or have not thought much about you know the resource allocation and the value um, over time that it creates. And I would encourage them to hit me up. I'm happy to have a chat about it. Um, it's really important. It's the difference between walking into a grocery store and seeing all the produce that's out there um, and, and none is, is any different than the next or moving to the next aisle over and then having a, a consumer package good and telling a story and, and calling for, you know, a good, better, best, you know, pricing model, right? So every, there's, there's room, um, there's consolidation that's going on right now. And uh, I think it's going to be the brands uh, with the longest uh, and farthest reach and, and the deepest staying power, um, you know, that kind of fair best um, in this, in this consolidated, you know, M&A environment that we're at least we're feeling in California. I'm going to ask you a really hard question to end this. And this is something that a few VCs have, have talked to us about. They believe, and there are a few of them that have a thesis that at the end of it all, there will be maybe three or four major brands that dominate. And then everybody else will kind of, you'll have like, it kind of like beer where you have, you know, Miller bud cores, and then you have everybody else. You have your like bigger micro brews and the smaller ones and it trickles down from there. Mm -hmm. Do you think cannabis will be similar from a national level? Do you think it's, it started to regionalize to do that? I mean, beer did too. So like, mm -hmm. I'm curious to know, we'll call it 15 years from now. Mm -hmm. Do we believe that this industry like most will be dominated by three or four major brands and then everybody else will have their market share? Well, I, you know, 
It's a, it's a good question. Um, I think business school would dictate, you know, there, there is a sort of law of three um, that we can observe um, in lots of different verticals. So I think there's some connectedness, you know, with, with this sort of thinking and, and rationale. But do I think it'll be, uh, will it come down to, you know, McDonald's, Burger King, and Duncan? I don't know who would be a third in that, in that scenario. I don't. I really don't. I think, I think you'll have tiers of craft um, brands. I think you'll have commoditized brands. I think you'll have brands that lean more lifestyle. Um, maybe where the, where the conversation is going, the one that you're bringing up is about consolidation and, and, and big guys swallowing medium-sized guys. I do think that'll happen. Yeah. Um, I think we're entering into a, you know, the next couple of years where we'll see more and more of that happening. But it'll get regionalized as well, and um, we'll have varying, you know, over the course. I think if if you're asking about a 15 year vision, I do think there'll be three big players from the operation side, but there'll be hundreds of brands nationally. Okay, I like it. I I don't disagree with you. I mean, as much as listen, I I talk, I have this conversation with so many people in the industry, and everyone's like, no, that's not going to happen. And can't like the consolidation part, and I go listen. I don't care how OG you are at some point when you've been busting your hump for 10 years, 15 mm-hmm. years, and someone puts a check in front of you, it's what you have to have the most extreme amount of passion, not only for what you do every day, but for what you built to say no, when someone puts that check in front of you. And that's just human nature. Some people like, I hate to say it, you bust your ass for 10 years. And if it's life-changing money, there ain't nothing wrong with taking that check. You've earned it. You can provide for your family and you can live a life. You don't owe anyone anything. So I believe that like most courses, it will consolidate. Um, I hope the soul and everything and the culture stays in this industry. And I think we all need to fight to make sure that happens. But I think that's where we're heading, just like everything else. So we'll see. Yeah. And, and there will always be home grows and there will always be neighborhood homies and neighborhood hookups. And I mean, you know, in Colorado, there's plenty of people making craft beer in their basements. Yeah. You know, I, I think that will never, that spirit will never leave the space. Um, it's just how the general public accesses cannabis is changing. Look, I mean, even if we take beer as an example, right, you had the, the, the dominance that were truly dominant for so long. And then all of a sudden there was this renaissance of craft beer they, and don't, you know, it all got consolidated up or a lot of it did, but mm-hmm. It wasn't like this craft beer. It's not like the beer industry started. Then 10 years later, there is this craft beer renaissance. It was, I mean, in the American beer industry, we'll call it 100 years before it happened, right? I mean, beer has been around for thousands upon thousands, millions of years. So, you know, 100 years after the birth of the American beer industry, we had this craft beer revolution, not saying that that won't happen in cannabis. Maybe sooner, maybe later, but, you know, just the trend in America right now is more smaller, local, natural. So, it's, it's watch, interesting. And, and watch out for beverage on a national, uh, on a national scale, THC infused beverage. Yeah. We have a beverage client in Wonder here in California, which is a, a top three uh, THC infused beverage brand. And um, the product is amazing. It's an alcohol alternative. Um, and I'm really excited to see where the country goes and lands on that once we get to legalization, because drinking your THC is a trip. I'm very excited for beverages. It's it's yeah. funny as someone who is a, a joint smoker, pure through and through, 
I fully recognize that one day the joint will be looked at as the cigarette, not because it's cannabis, but because it's a, a device that lets off smoke and has a smell to it, right? Like the people fought a very, very hard time to get cigarettes out of public places. Like, I don't think that they're going to rush to allow joints, vape cartridges, edibles, uh, drinks, all that stuff. It, I, I fully believe that like my form of consuming cannabis will still be considered vice-ish in the future as cannabis becomes more and more acceptable because that's just where we are as a society. And, and I'm okay with that too. Yeah. Same, same. Um, there's, there's, I think we're just beginning to scratch the surface of, of how cannabinoids work with our endocannabinoid system and ter profiles and the whole sort of amazing molecular makeup of this, of this glorious sort of flower and plant. We're just you know, topicals, you know, the whole thing, right? So um, yeah, we're lucky. It's, it, we'll, we'll get to watch it. We'll have a first, we'll get, we'll sort of see it firsthand, right, Todd? I, I, I'm, I'm sitting there. I got a front row seat. I, I, I mean, part of my job is going into dispensaries and seeing what they're selling and seeing what the new products are. Like I couldn't, couldn't be happier. I mean, just to ingest, like I, I, I we're doing a couple activations in Oregon and then we were doing them in the Bay area and then down in LA. So I quote unquote had a day off in Oregon because we are in, in San Francisco because we had an activation on Saturday, nothing on Sunday. Then we had meetings on Monday. So I was in San Francisco and I, what did I choose to do with my day? I went to 10 different dispensaries. I didn't have to do that, but like, it was also fun. So, for sure, you know, that that's for the sure. beauty of being in this industry. hundred percent, hundred percent. So cool, man. Well, we have gone past the hour here. So before we let you go, let's get, tell everyone where they can find you website, social media, how they can get access to you. And, you know, I think we're going to have to do this again soon. This, this repeat customer thing is, is kind of fun. No, I like it. I like it. Yeah. So, so for those, uh, uh, of your listeners, please like visit our website. It's Arlano brand co.com. It's a R E L L A N O brand co.com or they can find us on Instagram at Arlano brand.co is our handle. Um, we haven't spent much time building out our social, so give us a look, give us a follow. Um, it's something that we're working on year one. We've been so heads down with our clients, um, and tremendous partners we've had been so fortunate to work with. And so year two, we're going to start building our brand, the ABC brand design brand. And, um, yeah, I encourage all of your listeners, if any questions, like I'm happy to help provide, you know, some, some answer any questions that you that you may have so um todd thanks for having me on it's been a pleasure it's always good to, to chat with you and i uh, can't wait to see you next time you come out to la absolutely man oh i will be out there when am i coming out there i'll be out there prior to hall of flowers so that'll be a really good one um sam thank you so much and everybody at home thank you for joining again today is tuesday in theory so join us tomorrow night 4 20 for the official benzinga after party at the marseille hotel and then also join us 421 for our, our panel corporate and legacy sitting at the table together you can find both of those events on the cannabis lab eventbrite page go to eventbrite and search for cannabis lab if you want to check out the c-lab conference on june 3rd and 4th that is clabconference.com or join clab.com it's going to be an amazing event sam i'll hit you up about that at another time uh, good. all right folks thank you for joining us we'll see you next time